0: The sponsor of this episode is Clavio. Clavio accelerates momentum for e-commerce businesses and does it in a fast, reliable, scalable, and cost-effective way. See why over 2,500 innovative fashion and beauty brands like Chubby's, Taylor Stitch, and Bonobos sell more with Clavio. Learn how they're doing it at klaviyo.com glossy dash podcast. Barneys doesn't guarantee success. Vogue doesn't guarantee success. What guarantees success is if you actually find an audience that actually loves your product. We've been very
1: slow to change in terms of how technology has impacted our lives.
0: A new social network can pop up overnight and completely change our business model. Hello and welcome to the Glossy Podcast, our weekly show where we discuss fashion, luxury, and technology with the people making change happen. I'm your host, Hillary Milnees, and today's episode was recorded live at the shop.org retail conference in Las Vegas. I spoke to Pop Sugar chief revenue officer Jeff Schiller about turning a media brand into a lifestyle brand, building a beauty line based on audience data, and how to expand your scope without going too far. Hope you enjoy it. Hi, Jeff.
1: Hey, Hillary. Live.
0: Yes, we're live. Um, everyone at the conference can hear us. That's okay. So... Does, I want to start. It's getting harder to describe what Pop Sugar is. It's a media company, but so much more.
1: So much more. How do
0: you put it into a distinct sentence?
1: Great question. <laughs> we are now. I think we've kind of we started as a publisher. We are a lifestyle brand. Mm-hmm. So we are a brand that is inclusive, positive, playful, and we reach our core cohort, which is that millennial woman, through all aspects of her life, whether it is now a physical product mm-hmm. or when it started at .com and now .com social live event. So I think really again this this evolution from publisher to lifestyle brand is the best way to kind of encapsulate it.
0: Great. Can you obviously it's all in the name of diversifying revenue and and bringing in <laughs> and bringing in, you know, money through ways other than traditional advertising for for media companies. That's been super stretched especially in the in the women's lifestyle content sector. That's, that's for some reason very popular for, very for online po- yeah. media I, companies. You, I like to
1: say, you know, being in women's lifestyle, it's like you're either on Survivor or watching Game of Thrones. It's like an amalgam of those two because it's just such a crowded space. Right. We're competing for this amazing cohort, this amazing audience that represents the majority of the purchasing power, uh, but they are really hard to reach at scale. Mm-hmm. And when you have too many of those brands you're competing with, it becomes even harder. So it's, it's a fun time, but very challenging.
0: Right. And, and when would you say that Sugar as a, as a media company, as a publisher, kind of went on this split into a whole bunch of different... Um you know properties and and things that it that it does when did it become this lifestyle brand and where was the business at the time i know you guys had a really robust video strategy obviously there was the you know facebook clicks era of of media that was very exciting for everyone involved when did you make that move to say okay we have let's let's flesh this out in a different way
1: for sure so starting in 2006 it was really lisa's passion project lisa sugar mm-hmm. that is actually where pop sugar comes from lisa and brian sugar married couple Brian is the tech side. Lisa is the brand and editorial side. She started it really as this uh, passion project around entertainment. It slowly, um, you know, kind of evolved. The growth was very quick, but it slowly evolved into other verticals. And then the Bella Sugars, the Fit Sugars, et cetera, all proliferated for, you know, the first chapter of the company. And then uh, four years ago, uh, three, four years ago, we Decided, you know, too, again, too much choice. Let's roll all those brands up under the Pop Sugar master brand. Right. and there was a relaunch of the site. The colors of pink went to Eves um, Klein blue, and uh, which is a really interesting color of blue, mm-hmm. uh, and represented again this notion of moving away from a lot of little brands into a vertically integrated master brand.
0: Mm-hmm. And, and obviously, on this on this podcast, we're usually talking with um, fashion brand founders, um, CMOs from the retail side. But it's similar in that I think if you were to look at um, a fashion brand from fifteen years ago, they, the way to grow was to open a ton of stores. You open, the more stores you had, the more foot traffic you would get. It was great. So a brand like Express had like a thousand stores in 2005. It's insane now, now that where we are, you have to narrow down, but there's still a, a place for a lifestyle brand that can do a lot. So how do you find where your audience will give you permission to go essentially? And, and how do you move into somewhere like, okay, now you're, now you have, um, a new, partnership with Kohl's that, that just launched, um, a beauty line. How do you say, okay, we're going to do this and it's, we, we, we're going to do it smart though in a way that will work and not just be like throwing things at the wall?
1: It's a great question. The way that we kind of evaluate is through this mantra of data defeats disruption. And so when you look at brands that are on Instagram, direct to consumer, the kind of the common thread is really how do they understand better than anyone else what their customers want? What to anticipate, what they're going to want to buy in the future, Mm -hmm. what they like, what they don't like. And I I think as a media brand who evolved into more of a lifestyle, total lifestyle brand, it was what do our consumers want? And to your point, to to answer the question more directly, what will they give us permission to do? So... Mm -hmm. Having all of these different verticals from fitness, beauty, food, et cetera, uh, we get a ton of data every day. And that data says, we love what you're doing. We don't love what you're doing. We like this. We don't like that. And so when we think about new revenue streams, like getting into the line at Kohl's, which we can talk about as well, it's really how much engagement do we have in these communities? We wouldn't, And then also this notion of us as this, again, playful, positive, mm-hmm. purposeful brand Our positivity, we we like to say we've been nice since the inception, before it was cool to be nice. And uh, so being that inclusive, nice brand, that judgment-free brand, we really feel like it allows for us to go into a lot of different areas. Um, But like I said, back to the initial point, it's really... We want to lead with the, what the consumer is telling us, and we get, just get so much data from all of these different verticals that we feel like some of these things are sure bets based on the relationship we have with our consumers.
0: So, talk about the data. What what are you looking for? Is it is it basically how different articles perform? Um, what what can you mine out of that?
1: That's a great question. We have data scientists that give us kind of the more directional like. Hey, this background is going to do better than that. But our, our editorial team is honestly, they are the best in the business. They have write a thons, they have this scientific view of things like headlines like, here are the top 13 headlines, and we're going to beat this one into the ground, and then it's going to go to the bottom of the list. They've really. In an essence, there's the creative lens, but then there's the practical scientific approach. And so when we look for data, it is, yes, on a baseline what you said, but it's also so much more in terms of any sort of morsel of information we can get to give us competitive advantage. So one key part that the editorial team has used for years that we rolled out commercially is called TrendRank. So it's basically this pre-viral algorithm that says, okay, Forget about unicorns. Everybody's into unicorns mm-hmm. now, but llamas are going to be the new power animal. Wow. And we we <laughs> use TrendRank to basically identify pre-viral trends, which coupled with the editorial journalistic kind of hunch of like, I think this is going to be big. Give us the opportunity to gain competitive advantage.
0: Did that happen? Did I miss you know, the llamas, llama? No, llamas
1: are, llamas are the new power animal for sure.
0: All right. Wow. You heard it here first. <laughs> yeah. Apparently. Live on,
1: on Glossy Podcast.
0: <laughs> Look out for all the llama content. So, so that's whenever you, let's start with Coles mm-hmm. because it's the newest. Today adventure. is, launch day for Today sure is the launch day. Who do you, how do you choose a partner like Kohl's and how do you take something like, oh, llamas are going to be the new power animal and translate that into something like, <laughs> maybe not that exactly, but a morsel that you find from the audience data and translate it into a fashion line. It's
1: a great, great question, because I think the Kohl's line was an evolution from media partnership to media content, to media content, live events, to, hey, there's an opportunity here. Coles, which is a fantastic business, doing better uh, than the space overall by a large margin, because they know that it's not just about your current consumer, which they definitely want to nurture. It's about finding new consumers. And so the relationship that started at point A and landed at point Z is really how we arrived at, let's do more, let's get more integrated, let's solve each other's business challenges. And so I think from our perspective, uh, the the opportunity really was for us to be in 750 stores, to be on Kohl's.com that reaches 30 plus million uniques, mm-hmm. and to kind of cross the Rubicon from me... For lack of a better word, digital pure play into this venerable brand that will be around for years and years and years and years to come, much like some of the legacy publishing house brands have been.
0: Mm-hmm. And so, when you do something like that, is that you, you get that massive awareness um, from a platform like Kohl's. How do you measure success? Is the goal to then grow Pop Sugar's readers? Is it? Is it? Is it? And I don't know if any, is it just to make money? Like, how do you, how do you look at what, (laughs) what is working and and what are the goals that you set out?
1: So there's certainly the, the hope that there will be a halo effect. Like I'm in Topeka, Kansas and I go into my local Kohl's and I see Pop Sugar. hopefully you're aware of it, maybe you're not. Mm -hmm. If you're not, you're gonna fall in love with the collection and maybe you'll say, I wanna learn more, I'm gonna go to popsugar.com, I'm gonna go on our Insta handles, on Facebook, on YouTube, fall in love with a brand, our audience grows. I think in general, our approach is definitely unique in the space. We focus on the consumer and the product. Mm -hmm. So yes, the money thing, it's great, we're a profitable business, which is a unicorn today, Mm -hmm. Uh, but it's all about-
0: A llama tomorrow. A llama tomorrow.
1: That could be our the new tagline, yeah. unicorn today, llama tomorrow. I like it. Uh, but um, if you focus on the product, and we had Lisa Sugar, Taylor Carlson, and Dana Avanon cohn who are three core people to this line, really collaborate directly with Coles on, on what, the, what the, the items would be, how the fabric would feel, et cetera. Again, product. That married with our editorial product, with our sales and marketing product. Everything kind of just finds its way. And so I think if you just focus on money, uh, you over-license, you kind of wind up diluting, you have to be really careful. So for us, it's definitely, we want to make sure our consumers are delighted by the Pop Sugar brand in every facet, whether it's on their phone or what they're wearing.
0: Right. And and so whenever you are looking at each part of the business as it works together, and I'm sure this is important from your perspective, how do you look at something and say it's, say it's doing really well? Is the impulse to okay now? I'm going to go after that. Like you, you it's like such a um, ecosystem, especially starting from a media-centered um, business. How do you manage growth and priorities and resources across all these different types of business?
1: So resources, they have to be positive. I wouldn't, I, I you know, I don't want to talk out of both sides of my mouth and say it's the money's not that important, but I, I did say we are a profitable business, so everything that we do has to be through the lens of how is this going to propel us forward? Mm-hmm. Uh, we, t- we definitely take risks, we take calculated risks, uh, thoughtful risks, uh, but they have to have some sort of plan around success, and so I think, you know, the way that we determine whether or not we're gonna do something is, A, is it organic and authentic to our brand? B, is there gonna be positive halo effects beyond just the, the revenue? And then C, what are we doing and how does that compete with everything else, to your point, in terms of the amount of resource it would take, is it cannibalistic to our existing relationships or our existing revenue streams? So it's not terribly complex, but it's very thoughtful in the sense that we don't want to do anything that's going to move us backwards. We want to constantly be innovating, moving forward, anticipating consumer behavior, anticipating the trends and trying to figure out the best way for the brand to grow, but grow organically.
0: Mm-hmm. And so if you were to be looking at like where it's important to hire and and you know put put budget behind. Does would you say like does it start with the the editorial side? Like if that integrity isn't there, how does the rest of it even exist? A hundred
1: percent. We have to maintain the core. Uh-huh. Without the core of the Pop Sugar brand, there can't be a deal with Kohl's. There can't mm-hmm. be Pop Sugar Playground. This ten thousand person. Attended, uh, well attended, crazy two day festival that we put on in June. Mm-hmm. None of that is there without Pop Sugar the audience. So the editorial is the core. The editorial then feeds, you know, back to like, how do you identify things, our permission to go into all these other places. So resource allocation always will be we have to maintain the core, but any brand, especially in 2018 and beyond, that wants to be successful has to innovate and grow. And because innovation is so core to our DNA, we're constantly saying, okay, now we have a brand development team. And that team is firewalled from our editorial team, from my team, so that we can grow our business with our existing retail partners. We can grow the, the brand licensing business, mm-hmm. we can grow other events, et cetera. Uh, but Yes, the, the the editorial integrity of Pop Sugar, the brand, the relationship we have with the consumers, if that went away, it would be very hard mm-hmm. to, to be successful. The sanctity. The of same, it. yes.
0: But how do you um, make sure there's communication between these departments to some level? Because I would imagine the brand development team, the events team have to know or be on the same page as, as editorial for it to feel like a true Pop Sugar product, even when you take it one degree of separation away from the core, which is the content.
1: Our training and onboarding, I think, is, in my mind, the most immersive, impressive, kind of detailed pop sugar stamp of approval process that I've ever seen. Mm -hmm. It's who we are, who we're not, who we would be if we were a celebrity, who we would be if we were a brand. There's so much training that goes, uh, that everyone goes through from every single vertical part of the business. Um, You know, it's really, in my mind... It's an indoctrination so that it prevents, to your point, taking a wrong turn or maybe doing something we shouldn't do. That mm-hmm. plus slack.
0: Mm-hmm. Right. <laughs> <laughs> we're going to take a quick break to hear from today's sponsor, Clavio. Whether it's being able to execute marketing ideas you didn't know were possible or bringing to life the ideas you didn't have the tools or resources to do before, Clavio makes it possible for you to level up. You can try it for yourself at klaviyo.com slash glossy dash podcast. Now back to the episode. So, and and when do you stop thinking, if ever, okay, th- let's but let's not launch something else. Let's let's focus on what we have right now, improving that, growing that, making sure it's the best it can be. Like, is there any t- any time going to be a point where you're like, okay, rather than the next opportunity into a new venture, let's let's raise the entire operation.
1: I don't think that we're putting 15 balls in the air and kind of, you know, waiting to see which ones fall down, which ones we can catch. I think we'll take the launch of Pop Sugar Playground, which we actually built over a short amount of time, but launched in June. Two-day festival, Pier 94 in New York. Again, 10,000 women, amazing brand activation speakers, uh, Kate Hudson, Tiffany Haddish, etc., we're doing that. We're anniversarying that. So we have, it's all about timing, I guess, if I had to just kind of distill it down. So that will be around the same time this coming year in 19 May, June. So we have a long lead time to kind of make sure that we can have that be a successful venture. You have the brand licensing thing. So we're not doing that plus 10 other licenses all at the same time. So our main focus right now is on that. It's just more of a staggered kind of strategy. and. We definitely want to play the long game and say, okay, if we were to fast forward two, three years, what does it look like? We don't want to have too many of those things because even if we stagger them, at some point people are going to get burnt out. So it's still very deliberate. Like, what do we want to do? What do we we have permission to do? And what will drive incremental success for the brand? That's still the guiding light. But I would say launch phase is definitely staggered. We don't want to take on too much and kind of bite off more than we can chew.
0: Right. What's one place... Pop Sugar hasn't gone yet. That you would like to go. <laughs>
1: um, hmm. That's a great question. I'm sure
0: to... you've thought about it.
1: <laughs> uh, we're having a lot of interesting conversations. Let's put it that way. Sure, and sure, sure. and I, from my perspective, I'm an innovation freak and I'm a disruption freak. And I think my personal view would be to really think through a new model of working with. Brands, And so, obviously, the focus of this conversation is the intersection of tech and beauty and fashion. A lot of what we do is bringing that to life. So I can't say the retailer, but we, for example, do something every six months called a hackathon where we will create new product for the end consumer or for pop sugar. And for the first time, we had a retailer participate in that. So, I think my wish is not to to just kind of say, "Oh, we're in licensing now. Let's let's just keep dialing on, you know, dialing into that and putting our foot on the gas pedal there." Yes, that's great. We're going to continue. We're going to be thoughtful, but it's it's more macro. It's mm-hmm. what can we do to anticipate consumer behavior through any lens, whether it's brand licensing or creating IP? And I think from my perspective, I'm super excited about those opportunities to create actual intellectual property with brands.
0: Interesting. Well, that leads me to mine. Next, to flip it a little bit, how has what retailers and brands in the in the fashion and beauty worlds, how, how the way that they worked with media companies like PopSugar, how has that changed recently over the past five years? Five years. Hmm. Five to 10. Okay. Sometime. <laughs> so it went
1: from, as we know, the banner ads, the ubiquitous mm-hmm. banner ads. First, they were they're really big pop-ups and then they got really small. And then uh, I think the consumer, the millennial specifically, the millennial consumer just got tired of being interrupted. So obviously native, mm-hmm. proliferated. So the way that the relationship changed, I think in particular with beauty and fashion, Especially in Lux where it's it's really hard for brands to give publishers the keys to the kingdom, um, it's been much more of an integrated conversation versus a one way like here's your RFP, this is my audience and now here's the creative to run around your specific sponsorship or this or that or whatever so the evolution has been really how do you truly partner and how do you take on the business challenges of Retailers of beauty brands in a way that far surpasses five years ago, 10 years ago, 20 years ago. Mm-hmm. It's much more of a like, let's, we're in this together. Let's figure out what we can do. How do we measure it? What does success look like? And then how do we continue to kind of double down on that stuff?
0: Right, and that could be anything from an affiliate link to the PopSugar agency, which is called the bakery. The bakery. And up to like a branded line with Kohl's.
1: 100%. That's a great way of actually encapsulating it. We kind of think about it. And when we go in to talk to the beauty brands of the world, the retailers, we say, look, on like the entry level, it's the typical RFP. Then you keep going up the ladder and it might be exactly what you said. It could be affiliate revenue. Then it could be we're creating branded content. We might be creating white label content. We might be building actual product in a hackathon. We might be doing... Retainer-based AOR work all the way up the chain to your point to then we're going to launch brands together.
0: Uh-huh. And you have what these retailers want, which is a direct line to more eyeballs, I guess.
1: More eyeballs, but also an understanding of this notion of disrupting the disruptors. So
0: Elaborate on that.
1: <laughs> so you look at Instagram and uh, especially in beauty where mm-hmm. that entire space has been disrupted by... Anastasia of Beverly Hills and these amazing brands that tell really beautiful stories on Instagram. Uh, they have complete zero barrier entry in terms of storytelling. 10, 15, 20 years ago, it was, I have to buy a spread in Bazaar, L, whatever. I have to run million dollar spots. Now it's free on Instagram. You could build a following and I think legacy beauty companies are now finally catching on but it took them a while
0: right and so so basically you're partnering with these retailers and brands or at least saying hey let's figure out how to operate in a new instagram driven world 100 so yeah
1: i mean we wouldn't be as arrogant as some of maybe the other publishers in the space might be Mm -hmm. to go in and say only through us can you find success who says that I'm not going to say. <laughs> all right, fine. <laughs> um, but uh, what we do do is we go and say, let's hold hands and let's figure out how you can win at the speed of light, which is basically what we're in today, where it's not about real time for just real time's sake. It's about competing with all of these other brands that, again, they might just start in their bedroom, their kitchen, whatever, but they are your competitors.
0: hmm right and i think it's it's kind of leveled the playing field 100%. for everyone and when so but when you go back to who and what pop sugar is right now i'm sure you're thinking about it's for so long it's been about who the millennial reader and, and woman is what does she want how do we cater to that? What about the next generation? how are how are you looking at the way that those um, readers consume media and like so if, if like a, a younger person was to say, "Oh well, what's pop sugar now, what impression do you want them to get?
1: It's a great question. We think about that a lot. We subscribe to this notion of perfectly imperfect and I think that speaks a lot to Gen Z, mm-hmm. which is there's no such thing as that airbrushed Instagram like perfect moment and if there is then right after is when we capture the reality of it when you know the coffee spills everywhere or the woman who um, might go spinning in the morning but then go out at night and partying with her friends so I think from our point it's no judgment and it's really this notion of um, kind of perfectly imperfect and It's hard to be all things to all people, but I do think that inclusivity, the positivity, and then this kind of just relatability, like we could really be a friend that doesn't judge, doesn't preach, isn't harsh or edgy, isn't hyper urban, Mm -hmm. um, is just there for you to say, you can do whatever you want in small increments will help you get there. It's not just about climbing Everest or Kilimanjaro. It's like, those little walks, those little steps along the way. So I think that, that translates across multiple generations.
0: And what's the way to drive reader loyalty then with that? Not just that reader and that, that younger um, consumer, but anyone. How do you how do you get people to care about pop sugar?
1: We have a mix and it's really based on two things, utility and entertainment. And I, I think if you look at our competitors and largely in the media space, uh, Either you're all entertainment or you're all utility. We try to bridge that gap between inspiration and action. So whatever we do is always going to be, here's this amazing new beauty product that's launching and here's five ways that you can bring it to life. Here's this amazing hack. Here's this amazing food, whatever. I think the balance between that and then here's this amazing cocktail garnish, like a Bloody Mary with sliders as the garnish, where it's just complete fun, you know, kind of just playful. Whatever, maybe it has utility, maybe mm-hmm. it doesn't. I mean, I don't know how many times you're going to be serving a Bloody Mary with a little slider on there. Right. Um, I don't know. <laughs> but I think um, I think it forms both together, work to form an emotional attachment, mm-hmm. and so I think our strategy is to have that balance to have it be this perfect blend so that our audience does say, you know what? I love, I love the brand. I just, it, it gets me, it gets every part of me. It speaks to my, uh, the, the side of me that's into fitness, that's into self care, that's into beauty, that's into fashion. That's part of the the benefit of being a lifestyle brand. Mm-hmm. When you look at, again, the space, a lot of the, the brands started out hyper, hyper vertical. So it's like, they're just beauty and fashion. And then the natural, pressure from your investors or from whom the market is to scale horizontally, Mm -hmm. it's hard. We started as this lifestyle brand. And so we have the benefit of 10 years of being in the mom space, the food space, the fitness space. Our our fitness channel, ClassFit Sugar, is the most watched channel on YouTube. And we're also on Facebook Watch, fastest growing. Uh, But it's really interesting to be pop sugar, but also be such an important part of people's lives in fitness. Same thing in moms and food, etc. So I think that is kind of like this building block of, and it's all it translates to engagement and emotional attachment. But it, it's it's really important.
0: Mm-hmm. And so as we're almost at a time, and and you know we you're spanning across so many different vertical or categories as well as um, businesses essentially. Has that done what you set out for it to do, which is lessen the pressure on? The, the platform power and and you know how has has that helped build your your core audience in a way that you know who they are they're not one time click throughs on a, on an outside platform do you feel like you own that audience better now than you than you might have a few years ago
1: yes but I don't know that the checkbox of revenue diversification is what got us there. For us, engagement has always been our number one metric. It's, you know, you look in ComScore, we're number one in terms of time spent. Uh, we post less but have more engagement on social uh, because to your point, the Facebook view fest is now over. Uh, mm-hmm. But I think for us, that engagement and the time spent and the emotional connection with the brand is what led us to be able to do things like the Pop Sugar collection at Kohl's, or Beauty by Pop Sugar, uh, or whatever else we set out to do, Pop Sugar Playground—all um, of those things start with the power of the brand, the influence of the brand, and the engagement and the time spent means we can say, "Okay, you used to come to us on the .com, now you come to us on the .com and social. Now you come to us .com, social, live event." and then retail, and then whatever else is to come. So it starts with, if they're spending more and more time with us, we have to fill that time with different things. I think that's how we approach it. It's it's more about how do we fill the whole, I mean, in a perfect world, we would fill their entire day. Uh, but, um, you know, I think we're starting small. And it's like, we will get them on their phones, we will get them when they're having those moments of, Bliss with their friends when they're working out, when they're going shopping, and then we'll see what else happens.
0: Mm-hmm. Just world domination down the line. Sure. <laughs> is there anywhere you don't see making sense, or anything that you don't see making sense for Pop Sugar to do? You can totally take it back if you need to <laughs> in a year. <laughs> but what do, what do you think is like? Okay, at least not right now. Hmm. It'd be a step too far. <laughs>
1: <laughs> oh that is That is a hard question. <laughs> I would say uh, I'm going to flex my political science muscles as a political science major and say we wouldn't do anything that would seem off brand, so take your pick. you 're not going to see something that in our mind would come off as being snarky or exclusive. <laughs> It would have to be inclusive and positive. It would have to have this sprinkle of playfulness. So I think that is our kind of DNA. And then you can just apply that to anything. So I'll leave it to you and the viewer, uh, the listeners (laughs) imagination.
0: Sure, sure, sure. All right. Well, thank you so much, Jeff. I really appreciate you sitting down and joining me.
1: Thank you. I appreciate it.
0: And thank you for listening. We'll be back next week with another episode. Special thanks to Gianna Cappadona, the producer of this podcast. If you've been enjoying this podcast and aren't a Glossy Plus subscriber yet, it's time to consider joining to get access to all of Glossy's content, member events, ticket discounts, Slack chats, and more. As a reward for listening, use the code podcast at glossy.co slash plus to get 20% off an annual subscription. And as always, be sure to subscribe on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, and Anchor FM and leave us any feedback you have.